You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sam Williamson. I help connect businesses with their tech talent. Today, I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Thomas, Kim and Martin to discuss the topic, what makes a good leader specifically in tech. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Kim, we'll come to you first. Well, thank you for having me, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here to speak about something that I'm very passionate about. Uh, well, as you know, my name is Kim Giuskovinike, and I'm the head of IT development at Wideaway Group. Uh, we are committed to creating a great customer experience around buying domestic appliances in a sustainable way. And we do this online and through our retail chain called Scotian. I'm passionate about creating a great culture for all of these tech people in the tech department so that they can all be the best version of themselves. So obviously I'm excited to talk about what a good leader is. So excited to be here. Thank you, Sam. My pleasure. I'm glad to have you on, Kim. Uh, Martin, next. Thank you for having me, Sam. Uh, my name is Martin Sommergaard. I'm the CTO at the Bugle Project. Uh, we're specializing in creating custom software for the construction industry. Uh, making the simple process or making the difficult process of facilitating all the different aspects of uh, the construction industry uh, in an online platform uh, and very passionate about this, Kim, uh, in terms of what makes a good leader. Fantastic. Thank you for coming on. And last but not least, Thomas, over to you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. My name is Thomas Gergen and uh, I am engineering manager at Musk. Um, I'm engineering manager and the Musk is a big shop and I am in the area of it where we are supporting the operations of container vessels and uh, container uh, container moves around the world. I am really looking forward to uh, get a lot of good insights from Martin and Kim. So I'm sure this will be great. Hopefully. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Likewise, Thomas. Likewise, yeah. I'm sure that we're going to learn a lot and the listeners will too today. So now that we've established uh, who each of you are and what you're doing, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question around what makes a good leader. Um, and as usual, we'll work our way around the room to pose your question and the reasons behind it to each of you. So each of you have your opportunity to give your insights. I do believe we're starting with Thomas's question. Um, he's put forward, where in your organization do you see good leaders? And what are the traits that make them good? I'm going to come to Thomas first to give us a bit of context and then we'll fly around the room and, and see what you guys have to say. Yeah, so the, the context here is the, uh, also maybe a bit the definition of what is leadership actually and what is good leadership and uh, how does it fit in an organization on different levels and in different kinds of people. Okay, excellent. Martin, um, we'll start off with you today. All right. Uh, so if we start off by good leadership, uh, for me, uh, that's, uh, that's a very few things, uh, that I want to outline, like very specific things in terms of like clear communication, uh, system that you have in place. So you know how to communicate. You don't have too much communication in general, but most importantly, uh, understanding what your team needs and how they need it, uh, because people are acting differently. They have different needs. Some are, are very much social, some are and having trouble uh, uh, it's easy for them to speak up when you have say conferences and stuff and some people have very good ideas but don't necessarily speak up because they're introverts so making it possible for everyone to speak up and be a part of whatever uh, problem that you have especially if it's tech like problem solving uh, that everyone has heard and facilitate that everyone is able to chip in in terms of the problem that you have at hand uh, and then focus on like the outcomes of, of the task that you're doing and not so much of the specific activity 
So don't blame them in terms of like if something went wrong, but find like doing it in a positive way uh, and making sure that you give your feedback on conformance and how they can do it better the next time on rather than just focus on where everything went wrong. Uh, that's for me, uh, at least like the few most important points in terms of good leadership. Uh, then there's obviously for if you talk about leadership in general, and, and for me, it's mostly offshore our teams. Uh, so that's that also means that I have to do, uh, for me, I treat them as it was in-house employees uh, as that part of the team trying to incorporate them as much in the team as possible. Doing that is stuff like social connecting with them, uh, understanding their culture, uh, where they come from, uh, the way that we have it, we have two teams located in Ukraine, which has been tough for the past couple of months, uh, past half a year, uh, and one in Bangladesh. Uh, and those are also different. So we also need to treat those differently. Um, but if we're looking at, uh, back to the original question in general, if you're looking at uh, the, our organization as a whole, then we have a pretty flat hierarchy. Uh, we're not a lot, a lot of people in the office on a daily basis, uh, around 10 people. And then everyone is sort of spread out. Uh, so that also means that our hierarchy is, uh, if you compare it to probably Kim and Thomas's hierarchy, it's extremely flat. Uh, everyone, when we do activities, is uh, is really is really where everyone should chip in uh, and be heard. Uh, and that I think, as soon as you have a flat hierarchy like that, and people are so passionate about the respective field, it's really easy for people to see when they stand out and and really are passionate about the product that you're trying to build. Uh, and then. Obviously, you, the product outcome is just, yeah, your experience for that matter is just better in general. Uh, and then it inspires stuff like cult, uh, culture as well. I, I would have to agree, Martin. That's a <clears throat> that's a really good point. And um, I mean, for me, it's, um, you know, some of the things that resonate are, are you know, caring about your colleagues, uh, caring about the business, as you mentioned, you know, understanding, you know, the purpose and... <laughs> And and taking responsibility. Um, I mean, uh, Thomas originally posed a question, you know, in the way like where, where do you see these people? And and I think, you know, I I also see people that are not have not yet been promoted, but you get this feeling that you know these people are always uh, the first in line when somebody needs to be done. Uh, they care about uh, whether we win uh, our battles or whether we lose them. They're willing mm -hmm. to go that extra mile, and they care about their colleagues. So it's it's not enough to uh, want to win all the time because we also know those kind of people that push other people aside. But in order to be a good leader, you, you have to be able to deliver results through others by, by raising others up and, and making them grow instead exactly. of taking so, a center stage. Yeah. I think that's uh, one of the biggest part, right? That be, being able to give, delegate, uh, allow them to run uh, sort of freely, if you can say, I guess, uh, depending on the situation, obviously, but being able to delegate and making sure that, at least for me, uh, not micromanaging, uh, because nothing good will come out of that. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's a that's a big no-no. I I was thinking a little bit about where we see these these leaders and these people taking responsibility, and and it um, it occurred to me that. It's it's very different, uh, you know. We sit down there in tech, and and we uh, we have to empower people, and they have to come up with innovative ideas, and and figure out how to solve these these complex uh, problems. Uh, and and then I can think about something like our logistics department. You know, they have a very very fixed task. They need to get these products out into uh, 
uh, into the hands of the customers. Uh, they need to make sure that things are in stock and they're at the right prices. We have the right products and and they're delivered uh, in a, in a, in a good way, creating a good uh, experience for the customers. And and that's something where you can really optimize the processes. So these leaders that sit there, I have humongous. Uh, um, respect for them that they are able to optimize these processes uh, so much in so much detail but but it's a it's a different game than than when you when you build software and you you have to build something for the first time which mm. i think martin you probably recognize it's 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 not always uh, clear what what we're doing before we we get our hands into it and sometimes i mean i mean i guess the difference between you're coming from it's definitely larger organizations than mine. Uh, so we are probably allowed to ship a little bit sooner uh, and test in a, in a earlier phases maybe than you would normally do. Uh, I think you'd be beta. surprised actually. <laughs> uh, but I think I read, was it your, your posters today, Kim, that you would do 100 uh, deployments a day? Or was it you, Thomas? No, that was, that was me. Yeah. That was me. We, uh, we have four four product teams and a, a platform engineering team that's uh, trying to enable the, the, the product teams. Uh, so we believe that we need to get the product into the hands of the customers to get feedback. And in order to do that, uh, we we really focus on on being able to to deliver something quickly. So so yeah, that was that was me. Yeah, and we actually have exactly the same mindset. We also, uh, uh, we don't, we, we 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 don't uh, de deploy a hundred times a day. We deploy when we have something new. Uh, sometimes it's uh, it's a couple of times a week. Sometimes it's uh, every second week. Sometimes it's less. Sometimes it's more. But that's mm. actually the driver for it. If you have a change, get it out there. Exactly. Uh, it's it's not always a hundred, right? I mean, it's it's a nice round number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but I agree, Thomas. It needs, of course, to be when 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 you have something that that needs to go into production, and mm -hmm. and the more you split out your products, uh, uh, the the smaller yes. pieces you can put into production, and and then you get more deployments. The most important is that it's actually a no event, right? It's exactly. actually just part of what you do. Yeah, low risk, and and uh, if something goes wrong, there's a there's a small blast radius. Yeah, well, we got a little off track there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Should I try to get us back on track? Maybe. Sounds good, Thomas. You take it because, away. Because uh, one of the uh, one of the things I see about good leadership is that uh, uh, good leadership is not the same. A good manager is not necessarily a good leader, and a good leader might not be a manager. Uh, leadership is actually a, a person's trait rather than anything that had to do with organization. Um, Often there is a relationship that, uh, as you say, right, that those that actually lift others up, they end up being managers, hopefully. But I also, at least in my organization, we we have a, just as uh, just as 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 big a career track for uh, track for individual contributors, where some of the individual contributors they might not have any direct reports, they're not managers, they don't have any people reporting to them, but they are leading. They're leading tech wise. They are leading. They're the one that that gets it to the point where releases no event. They're the one that gets it to the point where our QA is to the level that we can do that and stuff like that. And that's actually leadership through others usually and treat and often sometimes they're actually leading more than I am because they do it across even more some, uh, uh, for some topics, right? And uh, I think I think that that's, uh, 
sometimes, at least in our organization, we can sometimes forget that that actually leadership, we, we have uh, just as much leadership in individual contributors as in the managers' uh, layers. That's a, that's a great uh, point, Thomas. Uh, I, I, it really resonates with me, that whole thing about the, <clears throat> the, 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 the senior specialists like uh, the architects and, <clears throat> and those guys, and, mm. and they, you know, to, to me, a good senior specialist like an architect needs to be able to to raise other people up because you can find those senior developers that can just like they can build stuff ten times quicker than than the the, the junior guys. But there's a limit to to mm-hmm. to that because it's only as as long as they only do it themselves, then then there's a limit. But when they can start to inspire the rest of the team and 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 make them faster, then uh, and better, not just faster, better. Yeah. Then then it really it really has an impact. But that's also like different traits in senior engineers, right? Some has this ability naturally, and some grow it eventually, and some just doesn't want it at all and just focus mm-hmm. on producing like super clean, yeah. well functioning code, and that's it. And they don't care about anything else. Uh, but those also, if you can enable those to work together with everybody else, then the end of the the outcome of the product is always good at the end anyway. Even though they don't don't lift everybody up. And and actually, to a large degree, I have uh, to some degree more respect for these people, because at least uh, I'm 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 often re- referring to that there's diff- uh, there's two kinds of leadership. There's the formal leadership and the informal leadership, and together with the formal leadership comes formal power. And together with the informal leadership comes informal power. Formal power, that's what you get from the organization, from the hierarchy, from the how many stars you have on the shoulder. That's something that the, the organization decided to give you. The informal power, that is the power that people choose to give you because they believe what you say. It's something you earned. You earned their trust. You earned their... You could also call it street credit, or they are, you know, they, they, they listen to you because what you say is is interesting to listen to. And they want to to be part of that, while the formal leadership that is that is uh, sometimes there's an overlap, but not always, right? And as a person, personally for me, um, a good leader is the one that has the informal leadership, no matter no matter what level you're at. That is the real leadership. The formal power and the formal leadership that is only to be used in case of emergency. In my world, if I have to, if I cannot convince people to do what I think is right, it's probably because it's not right. I should probably mm. look inwards, right? It's only in very rare circumstances that I would have to use formal the formal power that comes with my position. And if I do, I need to be conscious about it and know that now I'm doing something that'll break any informal leadership I might gain. And I have to rework that. And I'd be very conscious about these these two, when to use which. Of course, there are cases when you, as a manager, you need to use the formal power, right? Uh, but... Mm. But uh, I think it's very important to be conscious when you do it and what the consequences are. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't know. But if also the way that you communicate mm-hmm. it. Like also that's a strict yes. way of communicating yeah. using your formal power, right? Exactly. Watching your tone and making sure that you're, you're very specific in terms of what you're asking for. You know the outcome of it. I think I like the way that you structure formal versus informal. Uh, I think if you put it into perspective, the higher you grow in the hierarchy, mm. as you say, uh, the more formal power you have. And then... Sometimes, uh, or at least that's what I experience uh, from the different positions I've had. And the higher again the hierarchy, the less I work directly hands-on in the code, uh, the less I understand of it. The more I rely on the people underneath me to explain it to me, and the more I rely on them, the more they need I need to be, 
uh, enable them to lead. Exactly. Because those are the people who will be innovative. It's not going to be me uh, being the innovative person. I'm going to facilitate uh, the vision that we have, the mission that we're going through, and, and sort of facilitate that they understand it. But those are the guys who will lift the product up to where we want it to be, right? Those are going to be the ones creating the innovative solutions for the product and making sure it's reliable, we can ship it fast, there's no issues with the shipments, or at least we can track whatever's going wrong. Uh, that won't be me doing all these things. True, true. No, it's, it's, I think it's a great point, uh, uh, Thomas, about uh, <clears throat> you know, this formal and informal leadership. And, and it's almost like you know, the formal leadership is just management, where the informal leadership is like true leadership. Uh, if you're not able to inspire people to do something, but you need to manage them, tell them what to do, mm. then um, we, that does, uh, you are, of course, familiar with the uh, technical debt. Uh, some people also talk about the motivational debt. So <clears throat> when you are not able to inspire people to do something, but you have to tell them to do it, then you build up motivational debt. You know, every mm. time you, you, you give somebody an order, then you lose a little bit of motivation. And yeah, it's just something that's good to be aware of, I think. I think that's actually a quite good way to put it. Yeah, it's, it's ties into the same. But I also think, and now uh, Martin talked about this with the more more hierarchies in a, in a company and so on, and you're in a small company where everything is flat. Um, actually, I think there's also something to, to gain from having a fairly flat company or at least a culture, a flat culture. It might be that there is hierarchies, but the culture can still be somewhat flat. And in mm. my experience, I'm in a, I'm in a very global company, even in a Danish office. We got, I don't know how many, 20, 30 different uh, nationalities, maybe more, I don't know, a lot, just in my area. Right? And um, I think I think the Danish uh, culture of having a flat hierarchy somehow shines true. And even though people are from around the world with a lot of different cultural backgrounds, then that's actually one of the things that is widely appreciated and ties somewhat also into the into the leadership styles that is uh, pr promoted, right? Mm, I definitely think if you compare it to, say, uh, the US, for instance, then the hierarchy is extremely strict in terms of how you communicate, right, and everything. That goes with uh, maybe not as not as much in startups, but definitely, and when you get to a big organization, then it's extremely strict. We we sometimes talk about uh, leading from the front or leading from behind. Uh, you know, when you lead from the front, you you dictate, and sometimes you have to do that in a in a big organization. You 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 can't bring everybody into the strategy process. That's something that's mm. done on the C level, but. Mm. Um, and it's good to have uh, clear objectives about uh, what you need to achieve as an organization. Um, but leading from behind, I think, is, is just as important. You know, seeing who's uh, who's lagging behind and, and making sure that uh, that they they get what they need in order to be the best part of themselves. Uh, well, getting them the tools and the support that they need to to be able to support the the objectives of the company, adding value because everybody goes to work every day and wants to do well it's uh, it's just our job as leaders to to help them be the best definitely great guys well i think let's move on to to the next question because i think we uh, really gave some fantastic answers to that thomas's question there so thank you thomas martin uh, i believe we're coming to your question next so 
Butter wants to know, how do you effectively lead nearshore and offshore teams compared to in-house teams? And how do you incorporate offshore teams into the company culture and kind of keep that engagement high? I'm going to come to Martin first again for a bit of context and then we'll uh, mm. fly around the room. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we, we do have two uh, nearshore team and an offshore team, one in Ukraine and one in Bangladesh. And obviously, given that we have these there's things like uh, challenges like data security, for instance, uh, time zone difference when you communicate and, and work together, uh, cultural gaps, for instance, and how do you, and that sort of shines into how you manage your team, uh, but how do you effectively manage and keep them engaged at the same time with all these differences? Yeah, I think we're coming to you first for this question. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I mean... I, I think it's a really great question, and I think it's becoming more and more important because, I mean, in this uh, post-COVID world, we, we see a lot of people who are getting used to working from home, and it's a little bit similar, you know, because you're not together in the same room. Um, when somebody's speaking, everybody else is turning their mics off. So when you say something, you can't really hear if, if people agree or disagree. You don't get those um, um, informal um Nonverbal um, communication that 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 helps you uh, understand if if everybody knows uh, what you're getting at. So communication is more difficult. Um, but having all of these people after after COVID working at the, uh, from home um, kind of puts us everyone on the same level. Uh, all of our meetings now are are, are team meetings. We're, we're used to to Zoom meetings or Microsoft Teams or whatever. And 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 we're we're used to having to um, to deal with that. Um, but I mean, of course there are, are best practices. But to be honest, I still really see the benefit of meeting face to face once in a while, because I think you you can you can run your day to day over a, a Zoom call, <clears throat> but you can't really build trust and build relationships. At least it's much more efficient if you do it face to face. So, we we have some colleagues in in Poland, and uh, and I go down there uh, to meet with them, and I can just <clears throat> feel how much uh, it impacts our, our relationships uh, working together when I'm I'm down there because it's yeah it's it's just something that takes a long time to build over a Zoom call, but you can do it fairly quickly when when you're in the office together. So, so I think definitely you can do a lot. Um, over Zoom and and with these offshore teams, but but I think you also have to factor in some some time to 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 do the travel and actually meet the people in person. Couldn't agree more. I mean, it totally changes that also the dynamic between you. You won't necessarily feel that when you're going to Zoom meeting uh, versus being face to face. It will it can completely change in how you interact sure. with people. So I think that that social connection. Uh, no matter whether you're introvert or extrovert, is some something that every colleague always craves at some point or at some level at least. Uh, so it's really difficult to do these, like uh, really important to do these regular visits where you meet face to face. You do the social connection, and yeah, yeah, com- com- completely agree. I uh, I have a team in uh, Bangalore and India. Our two main sites are in uh, Copenhagen and uh, Bangalore and India. And uh, we also have managers that goes across and that's that can be a challenge of the same reasons, right? Uh, also, also of cultural reasons, of course. Uh, I'm definitely not an Indian style manager. I'm more servant leadership uh, person, which uh, they also needed to to understand how it works in India. Um, and uh, 
after some time, most of them, uh, most of them on start to understand, okay, this is actually how we're supposed to work. How awesome is this? And just blossom completely. It was really interesting to see, uh, but you still need to, to meet them and have a relationship, right? It's about having a relationship. And uh, I think it goes into one of the key things for me, at least is to, uh, to have a trust between uh, people. And that trust is, is hard to only have a digital relationship. If you want trust, you need also to kind of feel each other uh, somehow. Mm. But I also people. think it's a it's a matter of understanding just a little bit understanding each other's culture, right? Yes, also that because uh, that can, can create quite a big gap. Absolutely, I think uh, I think uh, for the first period of time when I had uh, uh, teams in Bangalore, I think I asked a lot of questions about culture. I think I also mm. crossed a few barriers <laughs> uh, and uh, broke, uh, broke to talked into a few taboos. But I think it actually also helped them to, you know, break down some some barriers and taboos and realize, mm. okay, I'm actually coming also with, you know, that's both good and bad and, and the culture I come with and the work culture I come with. Right? It's also stuff like what I experienced the first time, culture rise and the gaps I experienced is something like when you have a team in India, for instance, prayer time, it's not something you usually hear in Denmark, right? But then it's like you need to be able to factor this in. Uh, that is just a, a part of the routine daily, uh, and it's something you need to understand. And then you can. I mean, I've experienced that they're extremely open to talk about it as soon as you if you want to talk about it. Uh, but they're not used to it, yeah. uh, and they're not used to people asking questions because it's such such a normal part of their day. But where they work with so many different foreigners, uh, a lot of people, especially today, when you have like all these different offshore teams or during COVID where you started to look uh, outwards and finding different people, then it's just a need that you need to fill. I, had a, I actually had a really funny story once. Uh, I had, a, had an engineer in Vietnam. Uh, and uh, in Vietnam, they're very, uh, he was living very far out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he was a very talented engineer. Uh, and he, he often wrote me, or the first time I remember, still to this day, uh, that he wrote me that uh, yesterday he uh, barbecued a dog and he ate it on a stick. And uh, in Denmark, that's uh, that's a house pet, and it's a part of your family, right? <laughs> and understanding this, you know, it's it's really something that's really difficult. He wanted to be a part of the team so badly, and he wanted to share, but it's just such a like weird experience because it's it's a part of your family. At least for me, it's a, I have a dog. Uh, and but a but I think uh, I I was in in Vietnam twenty years ago, and as I maybe I remembered wrong, it's twenty years ago, right? But uh, there, there's restaurants there that is a mix between duck and dog restaurants, because mm. at one point in time in the month, uh, it's good. It means good luck to eat dog, and another point in time in the month, it's good luck to eat duck. So you have yeah. these duck and dog restaurants, which was also a concept. I was a little bit what, <laughs> but. You know, it's, it's 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 not a bad animal to eat, I guess. Didn't try it. <laughs> it's a it's a little bit tough for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a cat's person, so. <laughs> so, uh, Thomas, I guess you were hoping for a, a duck week when you visited. Yeah, well, actually, I was uh, there around Tet, so everything was close to, uh, with with these because it, it was all about. I can't even remember. I, I remember I had snake at least. That was a that was a crazy All experience. Right. Pulling out a snake in the middle of the restaurant and everyone's just jumping back. It was precious, right? It was one of these cobras. <laughs> yeah, that was a interesting. That's an experience for sure. Yeah. 
uh, just to go back to the, the team together. No, that was just a, that was just a personal trip back then. All oh, right. Um, just to go back to the Christian, I think there was also the other aspect of having a, someone that is not part of your own uh, company. Uh, working for you and how do you work with that how do you how do you be a good leader in in in, in that uh, context i uh, Musk used to have a lot of contractors and a lot of uh, mm-hmm. uh, offshoring and and stuff like that ibm ccs uh, every, all of them doing doing stuff for us and uh, i wasn't that involved with that but i was uh, involved with a lot of consultants working for us and um, one of the things i fairly quickly learned was that if you treat them the same way you would treat any internal com- uh, employee, then mm. then that's what you get. You know, you yeah. you get what you give, and they they are not always used to that. So sometimes it you it's really good. You know, it, it, it's such a good experience. So uh, don't don't make a difference. Try to we actually end up making a making a an, an an extra Christmas party because they were not allowed of policy reasons to join the normal Christmas party. And I said, then we're not going to join either. We are with you. Um, I think we joined maybe, but we definitely had a Christmas party with them because that was they were the people we'd like to party with, um, mm. and and say that out loud, right? Um, and made that part of it, so they were actually just as much part of it as as uh, as an in, as an internal, as much as we could at least. And I think that was a big big motivation factor also for uh, for, uh, for for them to to deliver more. They also just human people, right? That's, that's yeah, I think great, it's really important point. in terms of keeping like engagement high and, and making sure they're committed to the work, and also the company that you work for seeing the vision and and finding fun is is. Often when you ship product really fast, then you often forget to do these celebrations, even though it's just yeah. a small thing, right? Because you're so focused on just shipping product and yeah. making tech the tech you have better or improving it or any aspect of, of the tech uh, part. Yeah. Then you forget it. it could even be that's some part that we have used quite a lot in terms of doing like virtual events celebrations because I can't travel to Ukraine at the moment uh, or could, but probably a little bit too risky. Uh, so we're doing a lot of these like virtual events celebrations, uh, trying to find when there's room for it, trying to find reasons to do, to pull the team together because they're living in different parts of uh, Ukraine at the moment, but they do have an office that they can go to. Uh, so do hackathons where we order a lot of pizza, soda, candy, and then find a reason for doing this, which is completely mm-hmm focused on product, but not necessarily in the work aspect that you would normally do. So they sit and have fun with tech and they, we allow them to be innovative and think outside the box and, and you know, do all of these things that they wouldn't do in a normal work scenario, but they just focus on finally completing a ticket. I do think that there's also an aspect of, uh, now we talked about uh, near Sean offshore teams. I think there's also an, an aspect of if, if you're as a company, see technology as a core competence, then at some point in time, you need to take it in. Um, mm. At least I can see I've been with Merck for 12 years now. About six years, five, six years ago, uh, there was a change in strategy where we went from having a lot of contractors into taking all software development in-house. And that was a major shift and the take, it's still going on, right? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a big change. And it's mm. it's a capacity we then built up over the last many years, but it's also very very different way of working and how a different way of of you you can be innovative in a different way and you'll have people that'll 
that'll actually uh, uh, contribute uh, um, more in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a more direct way and have more focus on not closing a ticket but focus on outcome where that can be a little bit a little bit hard to uh, to, to do with uh, with contractors and and offshore teams I think but I think it's also more difficult for you to find those people who lift uh, everybody else up in the tech team when they're offshore because you don't get yeah. to work you don't work with them the same way yeah. on a daily basis as you would in the office you wouldn't see it could be small things like sitting in a meeting and you know uh, they get the other person who's always the introvert and they get them to speak up because they know how to handle them if you mm-hmm. don't re- if you don't really see it because you're not as communicated with them on a daily basis they are sitting in the same team uh, yeah. that's at least one of the things that I find difficult uh, to like pinpoint these specific engineers that will help lift the others up. Yeah, also that, yeah. Uh, but also finding, uh, there's also another aspect of finding that one engineer that is uh, open to speak up their mind, right? Because a lot of them are really talented, but doesn't necessarily speak up their mind in terms of like just a communications issue or some of these things, then they just go in a box and then just stay and then just do the job as they're supposed to. And there's always one that always speaks out on behalf of Maybe some of the others and how the team feel in general. If there's something that you, if you've misstepped or something, or you've been too yeah. formal in the way that you you dictated something uh, that you wanted to do, and there's always this one person you can pick out of the group that yeah. that you can get like clear communication from that you missed that. Yeah, I completely agree on that. That's important to have that one person, but it's also important not to be satisfied with one person. To That's be true. If if you if you don't try to get everyone to be in that space, then I, th- I think that's very important. Uh, a bit of back, back to the trust, right? Mm-hmm. That it might start with one person. And if you, by reacting to that one person in the right way, can cultivate everyone else to realize, oh, exactly. okay, it's actually okay to come with critics uh, and it'll actually be be listened to and, and reacted to, then then you are actually cultivating everyone else to give that. And uh, it might be that that one person, I speak for the rest of the team, but it might also be, be just the one that, that you know, has an agenda or something, right? So That's true. I've, I've had, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I've had a bit of, uh, I've had a bit of uh, success lately uh, doing uh, kind of surveys, you know, there are these online things you can use like uh, Minty and uh, when everybody's in a Zoom call, it's difficult to give uh, give feedback and and kind of kind of hear what people think about something. So so we usually use uh, stuff like Minty to to get people to to write the input and it's um, it's anonymous. So so it's it's the cost of uh, of providing a critique or, or feedback is uh, mm. smaller. So so I think we get a more clear you know understanding of uh, whether everybody understands what we're doing and 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 buy into it. And mm. I think when when they see how we react to the feedback that we take it as a learning opportunity with a growth mindset then that also teaches them okay so so it's 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 not the, it's not a problem to provide feed uh, to mm. provide feedback and and critique but thomas i mean i'm i'm a, i'm a little impressed by by what you're telling it because it's really it's kind of difficult to get these people to speak so uh, or to get everyone to speak in, nope, in, in, in a I'm, zoom call so yeah, I'm for not, sure. I'm I'm not saying that I'm succeeding in it, right? But if you don't have the <laughs> no, ambition, no. if you're satisfied with the one person, then it's never gonna happen, right? And no, also agree. 
we gotta strive for that, right? That's, uh, but, that's yeah. but that one person might be your doorway into getting the insights you need to yes. elevate the yeah. others. Exactly, mm. exactly. And also getting more to speak up, right? Yeah, mm, for sure. Excellent, guys. I think that's a great point to finish on for that question. It quite possibly was the best tangent uh, that we went on there. Uh, I never thought we'd be talking about eating snake and dogs. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the last question from, from you guys today is from Kim. Um, and he's going to talk about, or he's asking you guys, well, how do you lead people or teams that are doing emergent work? Kim, I'm going to come to you to give your definition of emergent work and a bit of context around this question. Well, uh, thank you, Sam. <clears throat> and and thank you, Martin and Thomas, for indulging me. Uh, I'm really excited to to hear feedback on this. Um, I've been working in the tech industry for, for a while, like you guys. I think it's around 20 years. And and um, I meet a lot of uh, organizations and business leaders that focus on outcome, sorry, output. Uh, it seems to be that the thinking is, you know, how can we get these people to produce as much as possible, as quickly as possible? And at some point, you know, we realized as a, as an industry, tech industry, that, you know, it's difficult to make requirements up front. They change along the way. So then Agile came in and, and, and we started to do sprints and, and, and change things along the way and made story points and so on. But I think a lot of, of the thinking is was the same. You know, we, we're, uh, we're, we're just estimating this stuff and putting it into a sprint. And it's a nice way of organizing things and, and, and you can change what's in the next sprint. But uh, there's still this focus on outcome. You know, how many story points are you going to deliver in the next sprint? And and how uh, you know how soon will I have my feature? Is it going to be in the, the third or the fourth uh, sprint, right? So what I see now is, <clears throat> at least at right away, that that um, there's a fallacy in believing that you know just because you get features, those features provide the the outcome you want, the the business value you want. So uh, sometimes uh, it's it's better to spend a lot of time figuring something out, and then maybe it only takes one line of code, but that's the line of code that brings you the business value you need, instead of delivering 15 uh, features that are not going to be used. Uh, and that's all all good and and nice to have that you know uh, that understanding of our work. That's that's what I call uh, emerging work. You know, it as as we go into it, uh, it unfolds, and and we we find out that. The thing we started on wasn't really the thing that the customers wanted or or the thing that would give us the business value. But the thing here I think is difficult is, is how do we lead people in this context? So if you have these features in your backlog, then you can tell people what the what velocity is. You can tell them uh, what the... Uh, you know what we need to do, uh, uh, what we have committed to, and and you can communicate this to the the, the business, and and you can tell them about the purpose of it. But but when things change along the way, and and it's 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 a little more uh, fluffy, I think. So so this is uh, this is what I'd love to get some input on. Mm, that's a tough one. Uh, the way that I, I see uh, the way that that we, that we do it. Uh, is kind of have a principle that I call uh, move fast, break stuff. By breaking, I mean just it's, it's testing it, get it out of the user's hand and testing as quickly as possible. Uh, then you'll get the feedback that you sort of need in terms of narrowing down uh, you know, where you want to go for the feature. Is it hitting the, the target that we want? Uh, and getting more insight in terms of are we doing this the right way? Are we doing it for the right purpose? And getting those metrics so you can correspond to that in terms of how you want to continue. And it's constantly that sort of agile way of, of, of thinking to get the feedback that you need to proceed. So if they, if you can lead them to have that sort of 
mindset, like testing stuff, getting the feedback, then they can evaluate on more information rather than like the one specific requirement you have in the beginning. And then you can always compare it to, is this still meeting the requirement that we have? Is it meeting the customer's requirement? Are they even corresponding? These two are we going in two completely different directions. And it's, I guess it's kind of these things that you're trying to look for and plan for uh, and making the person lead towards. Yeah. Yeah, I think from from my perspective, I think it's a, it's an excellent question because I have I have a team that is doing cutting edge technology where they're a little bit we don't we we made a plan and design but we have no clue if this is gonna work, how this is actually gonna pan out, and another team that is uh, doing do, solving a very very complex but also very open problem, so it it fits uh, nicely into exactly how we are working actually and i think actually to some degree it already starts when you recruit when when i have a conversation with a potential new candidate i explain to them what the scope of the work is and we are not recruiting coders coding that is your hammer and of course i expect you to have your hammer by you but we are actually we are having a your job will be to solve problems you are a problem solver that's your main main task and you're solving it often with a hammer but sometimes you're going to use a new tool and that's expected that you do that and you also expect to make sure that the quality is is good and you also expect it to get it to production and you may expect it to make be part of making sure it runs in production it's the whole thing but especially also defining and breaking down the problem and figuring out how do we solve these problems um and I think I think that's actually where it starts. That you need to have people with the right mindset, and it's okay to have you know it's, it's not everyone that has that mindset, but you need a critical mass of that mindset to be able to solve problems actually. And it's also to have an organization that agrees that engineers are actually part of the problem solving group and not just mm. an execution function, because then you might as well have uh, then you might as well outsource it. And you'll if you have that internally anyways then you'll have the same barriers anyways also right but i don't think I you'll think... have that innovative exactly that's you took my point right yeah. out of my mouth and you won't have that innovative function if you just outsource it you need those in-house okay. that under really understands the business yes. and everything uh, exactly. the problem that they're trying to solve exactly and then you also need to give them space to explore it and also explain the business and explain the outcomes and let them explore the outcomes also one of my teams spent here the last month just discussing all the metrics that we should that we should lock and look at and how we should evaluate them for the next thing we're going to do um, mm. yeah and yeah. that's that has been the focus and they're all engineers they're all software engineers right but they've been mm. discussing metrics and numbers and and how 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 is this a success and how can we gain insights what is needed to gain insights that's what they spent uh, the last month on maybe a bit more even and and it's quite engaged in it and uh, are quite excited to uh, to uh, start to get some insights and we're going to analyze and figure out what we're going to do next and then we're going to do it again then we're going to start over <laughs> but these yeah, are the, the, the things that are really difficult to explain to the uh, upper management right why are we spending time on this <laughs> yes. like they don't see the value you you can't really put uh, like you don't get any new features yes. like what is well actually actually uh, you're completely right that is a challenge i think part of part of how it works with us is that uh, we're very focused on data and every decision mm -hmm. should be data driven, which means that then you need to accept that you spend time getting to data, right? And that you actually need time both to get to data, analyze data, and act on data. And and that's uh, that's part of the that's part of the of the work of an engineer. And I think also as I think Kim had uh, one of my uh, things I always I hate velocity. 
I think velocity oh. is is velocity is something within a team. You should never leave a team. What you can use velocity for is to, when you start a sprint, to have a good idea about what is the state of this product at the end of the sprint, or the state of this analysis, or which metrics are we going to have being able to lock and and look at at the end of the sprint or whatever you're doing, right? That's what you mm. use velocity for. As a product owner, you can also look use it for after three sprints, what is likely going to be the state of the product. Of course, the further you get out, the less life, you know, the more risk there is in it. But that's what mm. you can use it for. But nobody outside a team should know velocity of a team from my perspective. But usually you use velocity to measure like your performance throughout the sprint, right? Why didn't we perform as much as the last time? I think and you I might think as well. Yeah, you that's should. totally incorrect because this could yeah. be so many factors. A person could be sick, uh, uh, his uh, family member passed away or something that would influence the way the, that they work. Or The first time I had a discussion with uh, with another manager about velocity, where uh, we should measure velocity and it should be a goal to increase velocity. Then I said, I, I'll promise you, we'll reach that goal spot on. But I think it's already so hard to estimate things that I don't want to have that parameter in there as well. But we'll, I'm sure we'll hit it. Right, and that's you know. I mean, for me, it's a, it's a team tool. For me, there are many reasons. Uh, for me, there are many reasons. Sorry, uh, Thomas. <laughs> it's just it's so interesting to uh, to hear you guys uh, talk about velocity, and I, I completely agree. It's it's it was uh, an example of something that that we can't really use uh, a lot, uh, at least not in emergent work, because exactly. You know, you you if you set the goal of of delivering the features in the backlog, then you. That's what you're going to get. But what if you find out along the way that those features are not really adding to the business value? So, mm-hmm. so I I want things to change during the sprint. Uh, I want uh, I want people to say, you know, this uh, we can see now that that this is not going to work. So we we design all of our, our work as experiments, mm-hmm. and we set up the data and the measuring uh, upfront to make sure that that we have metrics for uh, to see if it's a success or not. And 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 then you know once we're done, uh, that that determines what we're gonna do next. So so our sprint planning is uh, is very short. Uh, it's uh, it's just some headlines on what we think we're gonna be doing, uh, but that might change two days later once we're done with the first experiment if it shows something completely different. A good example was during uh, uh, the COVID uh, crisis, uh, there was the the Suez Canal uh, obstruction. And like everybody else, we had trouble finding products we could sell to the, the the customers. We were out of stock, and we thought, you know, as a customer, if you're looking for a washing machine and you find one, you put it in your basket, and it has a like a seven week wait, you'd probably appreciate if 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 we say, you know, here's a different washing machine, and we can get that to you in you know tomorrow. Uh, and we implemented that uh, as an experiment on a, a, a short uh, part of the website, uh, as uh, you could call it a split test. Mm. Uh, and everybody was sure that this was going to be a banging success uh, because you think you know the business, but it was not, you know, the people, the, the customers hated it. They they felt like we were pushing products into their, you know, it's, it's, basket that they didn't want. Mm. And The specific and, uh, scenario you know, is exactly what I experienced because of renovating my kitchen during COVID. And I had the exact same experience, both with the dishwasher and the fridge. And I was try—they tried to push something they had in stock, but it's not the one you want. No, no, exactly. So, so I mean, and everybody in the business was sure that this is this is going to be a great success. So, so we, 
and I and I think you know it's it's all good and fine to have these metrics, Thomas. I, I think it's great that you guys mm. are focusing on that, and I think it's the right path. That's what we're doing as well. Um, and I think it's a good way to work. But um, but as leaders, you know, I I, mm. I find that um, the important thing for me, I I can't really tell them what to do. Uh, so so I I think I have to just create an environment where it's safe for them to fail, and and where I respect yeah. that they're doing experiments, and that I uh, not only praise them when an experiment shows a, a success, but also praise them when we get some new learnings and figure out that something was was not at all what we wanted to do. So so instead of you know praising the success uh, of a certain feature that's delivered, then, then praising the, 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 the outcome and the learnings along the way. Yeah, I think that's a good point, especially about, uh, you know, that it's okay to uh, to experiment in, no matter how it goes, as long as you learn from it, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. I mean, what what's less excusable is if you do an experiment and then afterwards you can't really say for sure what the result was. So, so focus needs to be on, you know, being able to learn mm. from it. And I think uh, that's, uh, you know, if you do, if, if, uh, if you are a, a leader, uh, you're a different leader. Uh, I think that's the situation when you, you, you have to coach people and a team and saying, uh, making them think, right? Say the right things to make them reflect instead of mentor or being more direct leader, where you are the one orchestrating. Or directing them right, just as you say, you cannot tell them what to do. You can give them the, the environment to do it, and that is one. Th in my experience, then there is one thing that could that often goes wrong unless there's uh, unless there's leader with uh, that with it for mind, is that when you experiment a lot, it can go in all directions. Right? It just shoots everywhere. New ideas, and uh, you know, it's awesome. We are doing great. We have so many ideas. We're evaluating them. But sometimes you also lose focus. What is actually the overall, the overarching goal we're mm. trying to achieve here? And mm. that's where it's important as a leader to come in and say, okay, now we focus on this. Yeah, sure. We want to do these experiments also, but now we focus on these experiments because those are those are pointing in the direction of the current goal we have. Yeah. And setting yeah. some some scope to it, even even though you have a you know an experiment-friendly uh, environment, then there also needs to be a little bit of focus so that you actually uh, direct it in, in the right direction mm -hmm. and, 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 and what, have what some... Is, what is the end result? Exactly. And have the goal the fire. Yeah, the desired outcome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, ours. No, no, I mean, I think that's a great point, Thomas. And I think, you know, if we, we, we talk about this uh, uh, low hierarchy and, and, and democratization and, and empowerment. <laughs> But it's it's also uh, very uh, uh, scary to just be told, you know, you're just responsible for, you know, the company being successful. Figure out how to do it, you know. That's that's really yeah. really mm -hmm. difficult. So so yes, Thomas, for sure we have to to help them and guide them. You know, they we give them all of this freedom, but we also have to give them mm -hmm. the the tools and the support to 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 excel in this. Um, in this have area. to set them up for success. <laughs> exactly. That's uh, that's spot on, Martin. Excellent, guys. Well, Kim, thank you for that question. Fantastic. Well, the last question this week is going to be something a bit different. Um, we've talked a lot about what makes a good leader um, in technology and tech uh, industry. But on the flip side, what makes a bad leader? What do our listeners need to, to avoid? Um, Thomas, we're going to kick off with yourself and then work our way around the room. I think uh, one of the one of the key words for me that I always tick on and I always mention when I hear it is when uh, when leaders or people in general 
talk about other people and human being as resources because in 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 my mind resources is something you use and deplete and that you don't do with people those you grow and and benefit from and it's a i don't know that's a, that's always a, a trigger for me at least uh, and i know it happens a lot everywhere but uh, i see it as one of my goals in life to uh, to to get rid of that word for people um another thing i think is a lot about being in a trustful environment um, that uh, that uh, if you have leaders that don't listen or they live in ivory towers, only surround themselves by yes-sayers, uh, no matter what they say, the people around them say yes. That's also a red flag for me that uh, that something is wrong. And uh, it, it goes a lot into if you, if you have a leader that you don't dare to give negative feedback because you're afraid of the consequences, there's a lack of trust, and uh, that's, a, uh, that's, a, that's a hard that's a hard thing to get out of now i took the role as the employee also right mm. if you are as an employee see these things be a bit careful consider if that's uh, if 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 that's right and uh, this lack of trust can also be be, be built from both sides right uh, you also need to give it a try even though you might be nervous about uh, giving negative feedback you actually don't know what the consequence will be it could be that they actually oh yeah that's right thank you for giving me this right just Remember the thought of it also. Trust is a keyword when it comes to a to a and lack of trust is a keyword when it comes to bad leadership, from my perspective. Couldn't agree more. Oh, that resonates for sure. And Martin, I think yeah. one of one of the things for me is uh, one of my key points that I listed is uh, is failure to uh, accept responsibility. So this kind of person is always like he mm. said, she said, uh, doesn't really help with the solution. It's just pointing fingers, uh, and it's pretty quickly to identify these these kind of people. Um, and this also sort of goes into the whole part of resolving conflicts. Uh, like if you meet, if there's quite often you get into conflicts in terms of like which direction should you go in. And if these people just started pointing fingers and like mentioning different people, uh, then it for me, it shows as, as a really bad management or, or leadership in general. Uh, and then you probably didn't do your job uh, the right way. Yeah, that's such, Conf- a, such a good point, Martin. Such a good point. Conf- um, con- Conflicts are only a problem if they don't get resolved, right? And that's the approach you should have to it, especially as a leader. But that Conflict sort of is not a my, bad thing. No, but that sort of goes into my third point: is uh, is poor delegation uh, in general. If you're really on, if you are a really unstructured uh, person in general, then it's uh, it's really difficult to lead right, and that will quickly reflect on your team, your team's outcome, and eventually yourself uh, as a manager. And then it sort of goes into all the points that I talked about pretty quickly, usually. Uh, I think that's the key things that I wrote. And then just the way that you can... No, for sure, I mean, for sure, delegation is going to be a, a, a key a key skill uh, in order to be a leader. And uh, and and if if you're not able to do that, if you micromanage or or if you are not able to to trust people to deliver, then then that's that's going to be an issue for sure. But those are also the people that I often see are quick to blame other people, right? And not taking the responsibility for what you should have done. And it's it's so sad because when, when you don't take responsibility for things, then you can never learn. You mm. see these these people just like stepping on others and not taking responsibility and they, they never learn. They're going to stay the same forever. And I think that sort of goes into, you know, the confidence level uh, that people are used to that. If you're okay with, I mean, it's okay to, uh, step in correctly. As long as you learn from the process, you, you gather the feedback. You look uh, in uh, at yourself and like what what could have done better in this scenario, and then 
you use that to go forward, then you grow as a person and as a leader. But if you don't do all this, then you never get better. You're stuck at the same level as you always would. You will never learn from it. Agreed. And you create a horrible culture of of, of, of yep. pointing at somebody else and, 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 and punishing people who don't succeed. So nobody's going to be willing to to step up to to try to to experiment with something and innovate because they know that uh, you're going to blame them if it doesn't succeed. Yep. I think that was a very important point, right? What makes a bad leader? Bad culture. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and we as leaders just such reflect a, everything. It's product, company, mission, everything. For sure. Yeah. And just like also creating a safe environment is so important. So when that's when you don't feel safe to share your ideas or you don't feel feel safe to say that there's a deadline that's uh, difficult to reach or something, uh, if you don't feel safe about uh, providing feedback or or something, then then uh, everything just gets bottled in and people start resigning and and then nobody's happy and that's that's poison. I think today uh, after especially after covid uh, that culture is becoming more and more important for people are looking more towards like what is the culture at the company compared to sometimes it's not even the product but it's just the culture they want to be part, part of like a really cool culture where people are happy and and vibrant and you have different nationalities and you can pretty pretty quickly tell this apart when you go to if you go to an interview right as a looking for it from the employee perspective how the office is set up like how people are interacting in the office uh, and you can pretty easily tell apart the different roles uh, in terms of how they're interacting. Yeah, so like <clears throat> just for fun, because uh, I think Sam posed an, an interesting question here. So so this bad leader, if we are to mold this bad leader, what, what what's he going to be like or she's going to be like? Uh, he's like, doesn't set any goals, right? So you don't know what is expected of you. And uh, and you're always afraid that he's going to blame you for something. And uh, it never seems gonna... to be good enough, whatever you're doing, right? And you don't feel safe. And don't listen to what you say. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you can say something and he's going to do the exact opposite uh, right after. And then he tries to micromanage whatever you do, right? So he doesn't really care about the work, but he'll have an opinion on anything you do. <laughs> that's spot on. <laughs> yeah, are we there? Are there anything more? Yeah, I no, think I that's, think. Uh, that's probably and, all for and, and, and the bad leader will also blame someone else for his bad leadership, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Just uh, <laughs> yeah. getting Martin If, I, if I just had a good team, I would. Uh, we would be succeeding. Uh, it's everybody else's fault. Fantastic. Well, I think that there's 10 points there to, to avoid everyone who's listening. Um, thank you so much for that. Excellent. I think for, for this week, I mean, we could go on for, I think, at least another hour. I think the conversations really flowed today, guys. So thank you, Kim. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Thomas. Um, and thank you for listening, everyone. Um, they provided some fantastic insights, and I'm sure you've gained a lot of knowledge on what's a good leader, but also what to avoid and, and what's a bad leader. So. Yeah. If you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.